I'm Jeff, and on my 40th birthday, I decided to give up drinking for a year. And I'm Matt, Jeff's drinking friend, and I'm not happy about it. Can I do a year sober? More to the point, will you be really dull? Will I still get invited out? And do you have to drink to be my friend? What am I going to drink instead? Welcome to Wet and Dry, a new podcast about sobriety, midlife crisis, male drinking culture, pubs and friendship. So I'm Matt and I'm wet. And I'm Jeff, and it's lovely and sunny, and I'm dry. Okay, can I also say I'm Matt, and I'm slightly embarrassed at the moment, due to where we are, Jeff. Well, we're outside, Matt. <laughs> we, we, this is the strangest recording I've ever done. And that's from someone who's been doing all their recordings on Zoom for the last <laughs> month. We're outside. We're in Tooting Common. We're by the tennis court. Which you can probably here in the background. Tell you what, I've never seen so many people on those tennis courts in all my life. Every, it's like Wimbledon, Wimbledon Plus. It's astonishing. It's like someone flicked a switch and turned tooting back on. <laughs> There's a couple of blokes behind us looking very oddly. I think they're trying to work out if we're some sort of famous Eurovision duo. This isn't the most discreet recording <laughs> I've ever done. I've tried to shelter us behind some trees, but it only makes us look more suspicious, I think. It's very, very odd. And also, I have to stand because I've got some sort of weird microphone about two feet away from the microphone. Yep. So it looks as though we really are social distancing. However, it is nice to see you, Jeff, well, in person. This is this is a whole new thing. I've forgotten what it was like. Having to wait to see whether you've spoken that little bit of a thing <laughs> before you come in. This is so much better. I thought this is as close to the pub as we've been since March. Although yesterday with a friend, because you're allowed to see a friend... Uh, with Ronan, we did walk around all the pubs that have changed into kind of deli type takeaways just to see, kind of just to be near a pub and see it with its doors open. So which ones did you look at? So we started off at the region, which wasn't quite open. We got there a little bit early, had a, but just had a little pier in. We then walked round to the, it's the cyclist, I always want to call it the pianist, but it's a cyclist doing the similar thing. And then the weed sheaf, which was is opening tonight as a local store where you can get booze. It's very exciting. The cyclist actually looked like a proper deli. They've made a real effort in there. I was because I, I half thought this is just an excuse to sell beer out of their fridges and put a box of tomatoes on the end of the counter <laughs> and call themselves a deli. But actually, like fair play, they they seem to have done a good job. Yeah, no, very very odd. It seems to be a lot of pubs are now trying to adapt to where we're at, and you know, fair play to them. I don't know if the roses. That Rose and Crown is opening yet? I haven't seen anything yet. Um, I mean, maybe in the next episode we need to catch up with Chris, who we spoke to, who's the, who's the landlord there, and maybe some of the other publicans from our locals, because it's been two months since they've had anyone inside. 23rd of March it was when, Gee, when Boris time ago. turned the taps off in the pubs, so I'd be surprised if they weren't all desperate to get their doors open. So this is as close to being in a pub as we've been. <laughs> I can make it a little bit closer. How? I bought some drinks. Are they alcoholic? Well, no. Because... <laughs> okay, brilliant. <laughs> they are beer, though. Go on, let's get one out. Are we allowed to drink in the park? No, that's why I bought the non-alcoholic ones. Are we really not allowed to drink in the park? <laughs> no. So I bought some Adnams Ghost Chips. Okay, I'll, I'll try so one. So there's that. I've bought pork scratchings. Uh, let's take the pork scratchings. There you go. <laughs> and, uh, and just because we're in a park, I bought a brown paper bag for that. So you can stick that in there if you like. You can hear the sound. It's actually going in now. I'm putting the putting the can in there. So, can I just while we're, while we're doing this? Can I just um, a, a feedback from last last week's podcast? A, a very good friend of mine who is a nurse texts me with a single word on it. 
Do you know what it was? No. Knob. <laughs> <laughs> and a picture of a pine glass. <laughs> uh, which one of us? Me. I think it was to do with my drinking rules, uh, them behind us. She's uh, worked in an ICU unit and, and basically, obviously, felt that her need to go to the pub was above mine. <laughs> Is, I'm not changing it. Is, I was going to say, is this where you issue an apology? <laughs> no, no, I'm sticking with her. I even told her straight. <laughs> so I've opened the, the ghost ship. So this is not, Is this the same one? The same one we had back in January for our planning meeting for this podcast. I mean, it's not a bad version. As, as far as uh, soft drinks you're allowed to drink next to the tennis courts <laughs> in a park on a, uh, on a Friday afternoon go. I mean, uh, you've just given me a beer in a brown bag. We're sat on a common by the tennis courts with lots of kids around. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised we don't get arrested. I'm telling you, we are living the dream. <laughs> the other thing to mention is this is our 10th episode. Happy birthday, Jeff. Yeah. Who'd it... have thought we'd have got this far? How long does that mean you've been off the booze? So we've passed four months. Good scratches. Past four months. Well yeah. done. I think Tuesday, I think, was the, was the four-month mark. So I'm a third of the way through. A third of the way through and one global pandemic to boot. <laughs> I know. I mean, who'd have thought? In that four months, I've given up the drinking, had a drink, which was surprising, I think. We've also had to socially distance, essentially split up and got back together again. So it's, it's <laughs> been quite the journey. We went, I think we talked about this. It was when we went to the Spurs game, uh, when you took me to the new White Hart Lane and, and the woman clearly had never served a non-alcoholic drink before. But we actually discussed coronavirus then because it was in its infancy. Yeah. And I think I was the most blasé about anything ever, thinking, don't worry about that. No, it's no, it's no worse than a bad flu coming through. And that was a good prediction, wasn't it? <laughs> See, it's the one thing that makes me think we're not getting back to normal anytime soon is that football match. Because do you remember how incredibly, stupidly busy that bar was before well, the, kickoff? The queue for the bar... I mean, this was a, a, an FA Cup match replay, I believe. Oh, it wasn't a sellout, was it? It was a midweek, and we were so packed in on top of each other, sweating, touching, you know. It was almost like some sort of sex party, but at White Hart Lane. <laughs> I mean, I should point out that it wasn't a sex party at White Hart Lane. <laughs> May not be for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't imagine how many people I was within two metres of just oh, queuing to get into the stadium a couple of beers a couple and of hot dogs and also on the tube beforehand we were packed in oh yeah I mean and we was... stood they, st- we, they stood us in there for about five minutes or so so you know we were passing on them we were really the other <laughs> in that tube would have been about 140 oh, do it. on the way up there when it was really properly exactly. rammed and we were stood in some guy's armpit for the, yeah <laughs> can I ask you a question then talking about pubs because you know my view on pubs you know how much I love them and you know how much I'm missing them if Boris tomorrow said we can go back, would you? Would you feel comfortable going back into a pub now? No, I probably wouldn't. I don't think I would. Would you? Like a shot. <laughs> <laughs> like, like a shot. But would you be gambling on the fact that you'd be the only one who was going? I would certainly change the way I behaved. I would try and social distance as much as I could. I mean, six pints in, I'm not sure I can pee into the urinal properly, so who knows about social distancing? But I would certainly attempt to social distance. I would probably drink less because of that reason. But yes, I would go back. I feel a duty to landlords. I also... I just missed pubs. I was going to try and put some scientific spin on it, but actually, yeah, I would go back. But it's interesting. I've spoken to a few people, and they're like you. They would probably wait a little bit. Well, my question back to you is, how much does it have to be a pub? Because 
you know, where this seems to be heading is that you can meet people as long as it's outside. And there might be a situation a month down the road from now where six, ten people can meet up outside with a few drinks on the common. Is that getting towards a pub atmosphere for you? It's getting towards a pub atmosphere, but it's not a pub atmosphere for me. It still needs the physical it, building. It still needs a physical building. If you were saying, can six to ten of us meet up and only sit in the beer garden, I'm okay with that. As a rule, I don't like beer gardens particularly. I like to be in the pub, even if it's sunny. But that would be better. So, yeah, I mean, I'm having to change my views daily. You know, drinking, I've drunk more in the house, a little bit more in the house now, not a lot. I had some drinks with one friend as we walked around yesterday. Were you just roaming the streets with a drink in your hand like yesterday? Like a mad <laughs> Like Pretty much like I'm doing right now. I just didn't have a microphone with me and people looking at me slightly oddly. Are they famous? Are they? What are they doing? It doesn't help that you've got a cap and sunglasses on. I mean... <laughs> You... Well, the thing was, I, I already had a little bit of a worry about people maybe thinking out who I was. I'm feeling a little bit self-conscious. So I put a hat on, sunglasses, I've zipped my thing up, no one knows who I am. I could be famous. Ten episodes, it's properly <laughs> gone to your head. <laughs> so look, let me mention today's guest who we spoke to the other evening. Uh, her name's Laura Willoughby and she's from something called Club Soda, which I I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying neither of us have heard of Club no, Soda no. before we started out on this. But it's probably the first organisation I came across when I started to research support groups for people who wanted to drink less or give up drinking. One Year No Beer came up pretty early. but, but Two good names. Oh, great names. Club Soda is more of a support network and they also put on a lot of events around the country where people meet, they promote good alternative non-alcoholic drinks and there is a line in this interview that i'm clinging to do you know the line i'm talking about i'll tell you when we come back after the interview but laura says something in this that i think i've quoted maybe half a dozen times since the interview which i was very impressed with so they promote alternative drinks lifestyle choices that help you not drink i mean she was a powerful woman can I say that? Absolutely. I mean, it's very clear that we were not the first people that Laura has spoken to about mindful drinking. Uh, she's very well practiced. You get the feeling that she has certainly lobbied at the highest levels for mm. this mindful drinking sort of lifestyle that they promote. I mean, I found her quite interesting, actually. Recently, when we've been doing these interviews, I've come away from them with a, a slightly changed mindset. How did you react to her? I don't think it had any massive impact on me. But I thought she was almost singing from your hymn sheet anyway. Yeah. In a way, a lot of things she was saying you've talked about before. I thought she was very much in your corner. That's it. I think even when we spoke to Chris in the last episode, he made me think, oh, do you know what? Maybe I am on the right track. Maybe this is something I might continue past the end of the year. And the interviews are really making me question the things I thought were decisions. Yeah. And certainly after the Bruce one, I mean, famously, he turned <laughs> me back to drink. So, And everybody has. Andy had a big impact on me when we went and spoke to him. Laura's message was so close to what I've already sort of adapted anyway. I, I sort of went away from it thinking, 
great, I think I was already there anyway. That said, she did give me this line that I've been quoting for the last week, so stand by for that. I think, I think you'll hear it when it comes up in the interview. It's been an interesting journey for me on some things. Organisations like Laura's organisations and probably the others. A lot of it is you can have a great time without drinking. In fact, you can have a better time without drinking. Now, you get the things of we don't have to worry about the hangovers, you can go running, you can do this, which she kind of mentioned. So I kind of do feel like I have to stand up every now and then for the drinkers of this world and say, look, you know what? The reason so many people drink is because it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's just get that clear. However, having said that, I felt she was so intelligent, so powerful, so well-researched and so well-spoken that, you know, you, you couldn't help but be impressed with her. Club soda would never be for me, but there is an element of mindful drinking and mindfulness in the drinking which I can see her and I could probably do to take a little bit from. There's a couple of other things I need to talk to you about. I need to talk to you about the survey. Um, ah, yes. I'll tell you what, though, we've been talking about Laura. Let's hear that interview with Laura, and then we'll have a bit more of a chat afterwards. Beautiful. I can just see Laura's joined us. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hi, Laura. Hiya. Can I check, Jeff? Are you going to edit this? Yes, absolutely. Good, because my timer for the cakes in the oven is going to go off in 10 minutes. <laughs> so, I, so you can edit out that bit in the middle where I go and um, put something over the top what of them. What cakes are you making? I've got, um, well, I've got a very exciting project where I'm making malt loaf out of different alcohol-free beers. And I'm now hoping that somebody's going to get me some spent grain that we can make into flour and so I can add also in a bit of marmite and then it becomes a fully beer recycled malt loaf which I'm quite excited about. See Laura the, the producer wow. in me just says I want the jeopardy of when will the buzzer go off. Um, yeah. So let's kick into this then. <laughs> I guess we should start by you telling us a little bit about Club Soda. Club Soda has been going for five years and it came about because I gave up drinking eight years ago so I gave up when I was 38 and I'm somebody, I've got a politics and campaigning background. I come from a family that used to own a pub and we lived in a pub for a long while. I didn't feel, whilst I had an issue with drinking, I'm my father's daughter, I inherited two things from him, his drinking habits and his boobs. I knew was, I was always a big drinker, <laughs> but it was getting out of control slightly and I was worrying myself. My dad actually died from um, drinking when he was about 56, 57. I could see it really going to go the wrong way. And I wasn't really sure where to go, but in the end, I managed under mostly my own steam and putting a date in the diary and immersing myself in the subject to give up. And it still surprises me. I come to eight years alcohol free on Monday, but I realised actually once I gave up, people started to ask me how I did it because I didn't stop the socialising that I did before. I still spent as much time in, you know, political campaign meetings after, uh, at the pub afterwards and all of that sort of stuff. People asked me how I did it and I realised that there was a gap. And that gap was for something that felt a bit more like Weight Watchers, but with booze, where people can come and do a self-guided journey to change their drinking and be part of a community doing the same. Now, I'm a die-in-the-wall liberal, so I'm not interested in telling people what to do. So people can come to Club Soda and get help to cut down, stop for a bit, quit, or just hang around and learn a bit more about changing drinking habits. Absolutely fine by me. 
So that's sort of where it started. And then in the first year, actually, we got a little bit of money from Hackney Council because people started to moan to me that there wasn't anything really good to drink in pubs and bars. And I sort of agreed with them. I had managed to make my own concoctions to take to the pub with me when I was going out. And so we did a piece of research on how you would change the behaviour of pubs and bars towards their non-drinking customers. It was probably very well timed because not long after, some of the alcohol-free beer started to hit the market and we decided to build our first pub guide uh, which you can see now on clubsodaguide.com and we did the first mindful drinking festival in summer of 2017 so our goal is now to create a world where nobody feels out of place not drinking so that may be about you and your skills and your confidence to go out into the social spaces and not drink or it could be about what we do a lot of at the moment in Club Soda is working with venues to think about the what is basically a dietary preference of people who aren't drinking when they're coming into the venue. And that's actually quite a massive market right now for a lot of different reasons. It's not just about those going totally alcohol free like me. And so in a nutshell, we do a bit of everything. I mean, it sounds amazing. I think the thing that strikes me is that I'm probably having a very different journey this year to the one you had eight years ago. Yeah, you've got loads of choices. I just had a soda stream and some weird cordials, and now there are so many alcohol-free drinks, it's ridiculous. I'm intrigued by the concoctions you were taking to pubs eight years ago. What was in those? Uh, well, I I have developed a very expensive tea habit, actually. I've got into single-estate loose-leaf tea. <laughs> I probably spend about 60 quid a month on very good tea. I never drank tea before, by the way, so this is quite amusing. And I would take um, particularly like a, an Ali Shan, which comes as a, as a hand-rolled pellet, which means it opens up in its full leaf. It's not the flowering teas because they're handmade, but is a proper single-estate leaf. You're never short of a conversation at pub when you've got one of those big, thick, handled pint mugs with some weird-looking leaves in the bottom of it, I can tell you. And I also spent some time looking at bitters, actually, bitters and tonic. Um, so a good cocktail bar will have a range of bitters. I quite like a Morello cherry bitter in a tonic. Funnily enough, um, I was a big cider drinker and there wasn't really a cider equivalent. And I never really drank beer, but now I drink beer as an alcohol-free product because next to the water, the tap water, an alcohol-free beer is the healthiest thing you can drink in the pub. I did not know that. That's something I want to clip and put in an advert for this podcast yeah, well, from now on. you know, three ingredients and no added sugar, 60 calories a bottle, boom, job done. See, Laura, the pubs that Matt and I drink in, if you get some tinfoil out and start rolling some leaves into a mug, you get thrown out. <laughs> I get in a lot of trouble. I, I was stopped going into Amsterdam, but um, they, they're very good at telling Funny the difference that. between tea and uh, anything else. <laughs> Laura, can I ask a question? Yeah. Um, we started this podcast when Jeff told me he was going to give up drinking. And and if you listen to the first episode of this, I actually, it almost upset me. I felt like annoyed with him for doing it. When I was reading, and you've just mentioned it on the front of your, um, on your website, it was about creating a world where people don't feel out of place not drinking alcohol. And I've kind of come to realise on the journey that me and Jeff have done that my kind of saying, having to go at people for not drinking or, you know, making fun of them, while I thought I was being funny, I was 
basically being a bit of a knob. Um, yeah. Have you found in when you're doing this, it's, is it an education of other people that you do as well? In yeah, um, I mean, I I sit and hold my head in shame at the times I t- I use the phrase, "Oh, you can't trust someone who doesn't drink," and all my copious jokes about gin when people were using the water fountain and all sorts of other things. I I feel mildly embarrassed. Um, we are a very alcoholic world. I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to just change over my cakes. Hang on a second. <laughs> is that the cakes? It the is. cakes are coming out. It is. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful timing. <laughs> I don't think in 20 years of making radio I've ever stopped for someone to take their cakes out of the oven. I've got a chicken in the <laughs> oven as well, so I may have to dip downstairs. Right. They look okay. Yeah, um, I accidentally a bit knocked off and I had to eat it. It was terrible. Coming back to what you were saying, though, it is we're a very alcocentric society. We have a default, which is alcohol only. I have a I have, my biggest fight is actually with caterers in corporates who think that the height of alcohol free option is a jug of warm, concentrated orange juice that you have to serve yourself when you're at a corporate event. And I say to them, that just shows that we've forgotten that other people exist. You're likely to have vegan and vegetarian options now if you are having food at an event, but you still think it's acceptable, even if you know that people might be driving home, to offer them up a 30p carton of orange juice. And so when you ask me if what we do is talk to people who are friends and still people who drink but have friends who are giving up, then yes, absolutely, because you don't drink all the time. You don't drink necessarily if you go into a pub at lunchtime with work colleagues. It would probably be frowned upon. The pub still has to pay rent 24-7. If it's a difference between you having a glass of free tap water or you paying for something to drink that you like, like maybe an alcohol-free beer, you are also a potential customer. So actually, whatever happens, this is all about options for everybody and it may be that some people don't drink at all or some people just don't drink at some points or at some occasions but actually good choices and options that bring us into venues are really important i went to a do recently where we had drinks tokens and i handed mine over at the bar and asked for a non-alcoholic beer to find out they didn't have any and was then given a glass of soda with a wedge of lime in it and charged a drink token the same as everybody else is having you know glasses of prosecco and things i've gone to town on that one is an issue isn't there with pricing for non-alcoholic drinks yeah i think there's a whole number of things in this space that are really important to know it makes you realize how cheap alcohol is to make really because alcohol is a flavor enhancer and a preservative so it makes it quite easy to chuck a load of ingredients in a bottle and sell it and release it into the world probably when you're buying a bottle of beer you're paying more for the bottle that it's in than the beer that's in it i appreciate that's very different for craft ales and so on but you know generally Alcohol does wonders like monosodium glutamate does wonders for for all sorts of food. Um, So if you're looking at the alcohol-free spirits and alcohol-free beers, they already need to work out how they're going to preserve it in the bottle. How they're going to create a great taste but without the alcohol in it is really, really difficult. And I mean, the fact that alcohol-free beers have only just got good is a good testament to the fact that it's not easy. And technology and more modern processes have made that possible. And at the moment, they're not made in anywhere near the same quantities of alcohol. So you've got economies of scale. 
I personally would like to see, and I keep banging on about this, but nobody else is joining me yet, VAT taken off of alcohol-free in pubs and bars because the sugar tax has meant that, I mean, I went to a pub in Wiltshire recently, £5.30 for a pint of Coke from the hose, and they blamed it on sugar tax. Now, that wasn't only sugar tax, but the sugar tax has put craft sodas up at a higher price point. So I think that would help enormously. But there are, I think the sector has to, the whole of the pub sector has to understand that there's there's more to these drinks than just the price point. So for example, you're more likely to be able to drive home, not get a cab, unlikely to get a kebab on the way home, more likely to you know have a good weekend. So the customer is willing to pay for something at a slightly higher price point because they get an equal experience and they will spend more money in different ways in a venue as well. And venues that have now got the confidence to sell product are finding it doesn't matter about the price point. It's about the serve, the equality of the serve. You know, I don't want to have a half a pint of Coke shoved over the bar at me as if I'm 12 and about to go and wait in the car park for my dad. I'm going for an experience and I will pay for that experience. And venues who understand how to talk to customers about their alcohol-free range and don't just start by tapping the top of that Coke on a hose machine are getting it right. And I think that's really exciting. What differences do you notice across the generations, Laura? I think I'm the youngest of the three of us, but we're all of roughly the same generation. I grew up in Essex drinking hooch and Smirnoff ice like it was actually lemonade. I certainly have drunk more than a bottle of 2020 in my teenage years. Those were the days. I think that was quite a troubling era for young people and alcohol. Making young people alcohol that tastes like pop. I'd say that's quite troubling. So I think we're going through a period where younger people are drinking less now. Certainly that's what I read in the papers. It's actually quite cross-generational, but what you're finding are the motivations are different. So younger people are drinking less to begin with. They don't need some help to stop drinking. They're just generally drinking less. I was interested in Liars, which is the alcohol-free spirit, did some experiments in cocktail bars in Australia and found that young people would come in, order a cocktail, get it on the bar, take a picture and walk out without drinking it. So they're drinking less drinks in an evening. They're more focused on the experience rather than what I call vertical drinking, which is, you know, standing up with a pint in your hand, which is all I spent my 20s doing. And they're more conscious of their health than ever before. I mean, they're the biggest cycling generation for a start. They've probably been put to bed by parents who stink a Chardonnay every evening, and that's probably coloured their view as well. They're also far more focused around their mental health, and they understand a lot more about what affects it. And the number of young people I speak to who talk about changing their drinking or reducing drinking or watching their drinking because of anxiety is quite high. So there's this whole set of influencers in the space who are young and sober and have either cut down, cut it out or never drank very much to begin with. And then I guess you've got our generation. I describe us as the Ladette generation. My view on equality was that it was about drinking pints in equal quantity as um, the blokes in the bar, which I did um, very readily and very easily, you know, in that is probably Zoe Ball and other people around our age range. They're now realising that you can eat all the kale you like, but you're undoing all the hard work if you're knocking back a bottle of wine in the evening. 
So they are now looking to find ways to change their drinking and need a bit more help to do it. If you've had a 20-year drinking career or longer, as in some of us who started quite young, I guess we're also the generation where we could drink underage in the pub, they're now seeking help for that. And then that goes all the way up, I guess, to the older age range. So we have a lot of people who are members of camera and stuff who have now been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, so are needing to cut down their drinking. You know, one of the first venues to sign up to our guide was a working men's club in the north of England who has noticed the changing drinking patterns in the 50-odd-year-old men in the working club because of, of different health conditions. So we've all got slightly different motivations, but together that means that this is a cross-generational shift, which I think is really interesting. Laura, can I ask a question on drinking habits and, and, and where, where you or, or your organisation stand on it? I mean, I don't drink at home. I, I like a drink. I like to go to the pub. I socialise. I don't drink at home. I mean, I've had two drinks in the, in the lockdown, so I don't have a negative relationship with alcohol in that way. But I do like standing at a bar with a pint. I do like a night, I've said this before on this, and I'm, I'm, I try to be really honest, is I, I do like a night of irresponsible drinking when I get drunk and I have a kebab and I roll in. You know, n- nothing ridiculous, but I like the laughs and that. Do you think there's a place in people to do mindful drinking where they can do that? Say yeah. you knock out the ones that you don't drink. Can you still go and, and I, I'm going to say this as crudely as I can, where I use maybe alcohol to get drunk rather than enjoying the pint. It is absolutely up to you. And if you feel that those occasions don't give you negative consequences and you're happy with them and you're happy with the amount of alcohol that fits into your life and where that fits, and that's fine. I'm, you know, it's not my job to tell you what to do and to say that you must change because clearly it's your life and your decisions and your body and only you know what your relationship with alcohol is like. Yeah. Um, I can tell you that for me that became an every other night occurrence when I was in a job that I hated and I decided to take it to extreme sport proportions and I knew I was going to do something well I was was actually boring myself I'd ceased to become the life and soul of the party with a few drinks inside me and I became a bit of a dick and and I know people who drink less than you probably who still find that their relationship with alcohol is problematic for them because it maybe interferes with their mental health and they're finding it makes them more anxious or they're looking to lose weight or they've got medication it doesn't suit, or generally they've probably had enough of it. And that's fine. And, there are, you know, everyone loves to compare themselves to each other, right? And there are people who come into Club Soda and go, well, how much were you drinking? Because they, So they can assess whether they've got a problem or not, as if there's so some, like it's a league table, as if yeah, there's some fine line where you can say, I was doing all right. The truth is, is if you're feeling unhappy about how much you're drinking or the impact it's having on you, then looking to change that in some way is probably a good thing to do. And if you're perfectly content and happy with what you drink and that the the every you know I I can totally see that I I still I would say I probably miss the odd occasion where I could get completely out of my head but I know if I started drinking again it wouldn't be every other occasion because even after eight years I still look at people who leave half a glass of wine in the restaurant and work out how the hell did they do that I'd be like (laughs) I mean I can't do that with dessert anymore so you know um so I know that it's not for me and I and I I like the life that I now have and I've done enough of that alcohol's got nothing left for me so I've not found not drinking in the lockdown difficult because for me, everything is about social. It's about being in the pub and talking to people. If you take that away, I'm not really that bothered about having a drink. It's like me and Jeff talked about this before everything started on with COVID-19 in that if I was doing in Jeff's place, I would miss going to the pub, whereas he misses having a nice glass of wine with a family meal. So so mine, it's all wrapped up in, in, in the socialising. And I think that's what I 
associate with having a good time. What I've realised with Jeff is, as you kind of said at the start before we were on there, he's still the same person when we go down there. And I still have just as much as a laugh with Jeff when he's not drinking in the pub as I did before. He probably has less of a laugh with me towards the end of the evening. But you, you realise oh, yeah, but he's actually... writing down everything that you've done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, to bribe you later. The book will be interesting. I have realised that actually my concerns about spending time with someone what drinking was basically me being a dick rather than anything else. It was the easiest way to say that. Yeah, and I suspect, Jeff, that it took you a while to get into your stride, not drinking, and you felt awkward without that drink in your hand. I certainly did. And it takes practice to feel relaxed again. And then people forget you're not drinking. They really don't know. Yeah, that's true. I don't. Because I've spent a lot of time here, I don't notice you're not drinking now. I've only just thought of that when you said that. I don't see it anymore. There is, a, I, I suspect, a difference between the way my male friends have treated the news of my sobriety and the way perhaps your circle of friends treated your announcement. Do you remember well, that moment? There, do, you, do you think there's a difference between how, how men and women treat the drinking culture? Yes, there is. And certainly women seem to seek help a lot earlier with their drinking. Women are more likely to talk online and find other people online and read blogs and stuff and and begin to explore the issue sooner. Women are also slightly more able to talk to friends about having made um, a change for diet and other reasons. So they often have a conversation about health generally that's very different. Um, I am generalising, but that sort of is there. I mean, equally, we run queers without beers and the LGBT community has a slightly different relationship with alcohol as well. That's the single best name for anything ever. It's so brilliant. <laughs> it's the only reason why we set up Queers Without Beers is because somebody said, oh, you should run something called Queers Without Beers. And we went, that sounds great. So that's why we did it. So <laughs> It's brilliant. It's just superb. It's my favourite group of all time. And uh, so, yeah, so there are definitely there are some gender differences and there are some differences in how to be perceived as a as manly I know for my dad the pub was his only place where he had conversations with other people that might be even slightly more meaningful and so that also has some structure but a lot did change back in probably the 90s around gender drinking if you think about it it's no longer acceptable for the woman to stay at home and look after the children and the man to go to the pub in the evening the price of wine came down and so people started to stay at home as couples in the evening and drink wine And so that changed a lot anyway. And now if you look at pubs in general, you'll see that not only is food a really important part of the experience and the offer, but you've got far more mixed gendered groups than you've ever had before. And that's probably something to do with the uh, the generation of those of us that are in our 40s now, that that gendered amount of drinking, uh, women's drinking went up and men's probably leveled out. But the biggest drinkers still in this country are 55-year-old, white, wealthy men. We're an anomaly. The richer you are, the more you drink in this country, whereas other countries it's the other way around. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's I mean it's an interesting subject. There are there are all sorts of uh, studies on it. And also the fact that if you've been drinking a long time, huge amounts of your identity is tied up in your drinking behaviour and your socialising with alcohol. And that's quite a lot to unpick when you first give up your drinking. Huge amounts of my identity was tied up with spending time in the pub, being the last to leave the pub in the evening, being the person who could always be relied on to keep the conversation going. And I had to learn to do that and reclaim my identity. How did you find that? 
Uh, well, actually, um, I like to make a good joke. So I made a joke of changing my drinking really early on. And now I love that challenge of um, not only being able to be very curious and therefore still keep the conversation going because it's good questions that keep conversations going. But I am as witty and amazing as I thought I was when I was drinking <laughs> when I'm out. But it took about six months for that to really settle in. And I just leave earlier now, which is great because I love sleep right now. So I don't have to stay till closing time. Apparently, it's not the rule. Apparently, I don't have to keep the whole of London's theatre district going by drinking shit wine before, during and after the play. I can just go home, have an early night and get up and do something really interesting the next day. I find your whole approach to not drinking absolutely brilliant and refreshing, Laura. Was there ever a point where you considered the moderation approach rather than the sober approach? Well, like most people who give up drinking, I went through lots of waking up with a hangover, which is also the worst time to um, set yourself a behaviour change goal, by the way. And I went, oh, no, I'm never drinking again. I'm going to moderate. But all I ever did was say I wasn't going to moderate and then put no plans in place. So ultimately, I think I probably was already drinking too much for my brain to be able to really allow me to moderate. I Certainly there are people in Club Soda who work really hard at moderating and do manage it. But I guess I'd got to a point where I really was scaring myself. And so I put this date in the diary and I decided that I was going to immerse myself in the subject for a day and 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 look at changing my drinking. And I told friends about it, so I gave myself some accountability. And what happened was that I came out very determined, so I'd learnt lots of stuff after that day. But what happened was I started to feel really good really quickly. And I got really excited about how good I felt. And for me, it then snowballed from there, which is I didn't really want to drink again because I was feeling so good. And after three months, which I reckon is probably about the point where some of the mild withdrawal symptoms that we all will have, for me, it was like sleeping loads. At the end of three months, I was volunteering on the Olympic Games. I can tell you, I turned up at that stadium at six in the morning thinking I was a bloody athlete. I was like, (laughs) oh my God, I'm up. I'm out. It's six in the morning. I'm in the Olympic Park. I've been looking forward to this for such a long time. And I guess there's also another um, key part of that story, which is that I had something that I wanted to achieve that was far more important than my drinking. And sort of deep down, I think I knew that if I was still drinking, I would never have got into that Olympic Park every morning. And so I already had a vision of the life that I wanted to lead, even though it was only for a few weeks um, in 2012. And for most people, when you're changing your drinking, you often focus on the negative, which is I'm giving up something. But actually what you need to do is focus on what the life is you want to lead and where alcohol fits into that for you. And so some people that might be working really hard at moderation because they want to be more productive at work or they want to um, spend more time with their children. We've got a member who wants to be a better grandparent. That's what she's focusing on. But if you've got that bigger life ambition, that bigger life that you want to lead to focus on, that's definitely far more empowering than continually spending every day thinking that you're taking something away. Laura, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. As ever with this, when we speak to somebody, it just confuses me even more. There are so many different angles and opinions and pieces of advice around sobriety that it's quite tricky to to take it all in. What's the single piece of advice you would give to somebody starting out on their, their sort of sobriety journey? 
I'd say spend some time thinking about the life that you want for yourself and where alcohol fits in with it rather than um, focusing as we often do on um, like I had a New Year's resolution for at least 15 years, which was I'm going to drink less this year. I'm going to drink less this year. It's a very ne- negative view. Think about what it is you want to do with the rest of your life, who you are, the type of person you want to be, and then start from that position. I haven't done that yet. So I promise that by the next episode, I will have given that some thought and add that into, into my journey. And if somebody wants to find out more about Club Soda, where should they go? Uh, you can go to joinclubsoda.com. If you want to find the best range of low and no alcohol, hold drinks and the pubs that serve them when the pubs are open again go to clubsodaguide.com and we're on at join club soda on social so obviously it was the line that after water non-alcoholic beer is the healthiest thing in a pub (laughs) that is something i'm quite happy to have put on a t-shirt i'm having a can of health right now you are how's that going down by the way you know what i'm more of a lager drinker than a bitter drinker anyway or or a real ale drinker as i said to you when i had this in the rose and crown i think of all the ones i've tasted ghost ship is probably my favorite probably tastes as close to the real thing I think as, as is possible to get I don't mind a ghost ship I couldn't have more than this little miniature can though <laughs> I mean after that I'd be like nah I'm not having that I don't know if this is of any use to anybody why other have than... you not got your brown bag on and why have I had to keep mine on I'm not ashamed of it being non-alcoholic <laughs> <laughs> so, so you spoke about a survey Jeff yeah we, I mean we we've talked about doing this since we started because I'm I'm really interested to know what other people think about drinking and not drinking which are I I guess the main two subjects of this podcast so (laughs) we've put together a survey which is up on our website at wetanddrypodcast.com it's a basic questionnaire it's anonymous but we would love to know what your attitudes to drinking are and specifically some questions have you noticed that we're very popular in Switzerland? We were 64th on their chart the other day. It's our third biggest market after what? the US and the UK. <laughs> yeah, well, I know they, what, French and German is, is Swiss languages, is it? French, German and alcohol are the main languages of Switzerland, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm very excited to see what our Swiss viewers are, uh, are, are thinking about this as well. I mean, I know we haven't really talked about the global spread of the Wet and Dry podcast uh, for quite made, a few episodes. After you made a, a few early gags about that. I wonder, wonder how those coronavirus <laughs> lines are, are, are dating in the early well. episodes. Go on, give me some questions. Then. All right, so here's the first one. We could just ask random people in the park. I too. think I know the answer to this, but the first, the first question I, I've taken down from the survey is, how does your drinking during the lockdown differ from before? Massively. Is, is it more or less or about the same? Much less. Much less. It's, it, it's interesting scale. because because all of the sort of newspaper stories are about mm. people drinking through anxiety and I, I am I am off the scale less. I mean I'm close to you in terms of my non-drinking. I mean I had a drink yesterday, but you know I can count them on one hand a number of times. In fact, I can count them on less than one hand the number of times I've drunk since lockdown. But I'll give you it three. See, I guess technically I'm more in that I'd had none before it and one glass during it. From a percentage point of view, you are. If someone was introduced to you as a non-drinker, would it affect your opinion of them? Negatively, not really, or positively? Well, I mean, take positive out straight away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a difficult one. Before this podcast, it would have been a definite negatively. I think I've learned a bit on this podcast 
but I'm still going to say negatively. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to the results of that question. <laughs> we said I'd be honest. Have you ever deliberately taken more than a month off alcohol? No. I think I, I put the deliberately on there on the basis that I think you probably didn't drink for the first month of this lockdown. I definitely had a month off booze, but it wasn't deliberate. Okay. I like this game. Do you have a friend who, in your opinion, <laughs> drinks too much? If I have more than one, can I not answer? Yeah, loads. Uh, See, no, no, come back to that. It's a really difficult question to answer because it's such a subjective viewpoint and you don't know what goes on. I mean, I am definitely of the view that this kind of puritanical streak, which kind of what this podcast started off at examining, of people judging people on whether they drink too much. Can I give you an example? And I give you this example that in terms of timings, in terms of where we are now to where we were before, and I got this from Danny Baker. I went to see Danny Baker do live, and he talked about this kind of puritanical streak that has pervaded society at the moment where we all give stuff up. And he talked about his dad and how the doctors used to go to the pub every night. My dad would come home from work and eat with us and a family meal, then he would go to the pub. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I believe, He'd go with the people down the street, so it wasn't him on his own going for a drink. He was a great father. We have a great relationship. He was there for everything I needed. He was there for all my schoolwork. He was there for all my sports events. If I ever needed take it anywhere, he'd take me there. We have, you know, some people have very negative, I have an exceptional relationship with my dad. Looking now, someone may say he drank too much because he went to the pub every single night. Now, I don't know how much he had at the pub. He could have had one or two pints. I'm his son, so I doubt it. Um, but... Who's to say what the right amount to drink is? Who, who is to say? And can I just also point out, my dad is 70 plus and he's as fit as a fiddle. He can still sprint 100 meters against his grandchildren. So even on that, who's to say they drink too much? I think... And, and yet, when I asked the question, do you have a friend who, in your opinion, drinks too much? You said yes, and you immediately thought of someone, didn't you? Yes. So... <laughs> So, Are you thinking of the same person as like Darren Brown? Quite possibly. Um, so I guess if you've immediately said yes and you've immediately thought of that person, you do consider that they drink too much. Yes. So the second part of this question is, if yes, would you have a conversation with them about it? Oh, gosh, that's difficult. Um... I've got to do it honestly, haven't I? Yeah. No. And again, I think the reason that we're asking these questions is we would like to gauge opinion from our, our listeners who now, as we know, are spread <laughs> unbelievably globally. Uh, so, okay, it would be me... good to know what people thought. I know, I'm pretty sure you're yes on that. And, and, and I that... don't know that I am. I don't know that I am. Really? I, I'm very laissez-faire on things like that. I don't like judgment on other people. I, I don't like to enforce my views on other people. If someone was in trouble and they came to me about it, I would talk to them, I would help them, I would do whatever. I've had people who have had drinking problems and come and I've gone out non-drinking with them to try and help them. So yes, in that sense, I don't think I would ever be the one that would go up and say, it. it's not me. I'm not very good at it either. I'd end up having a pint with them. What is funny is us talking seriously about alcoholism to the, the clear <laughs> backdrop of toddlers playing football. Um, so yeah, so there, there, look, I just picked out a few questions. I think that sounds brilliant. Let, let, I really can urge people to go and, and fill it in, especially the Swiss people. And, I'm uh, intrigued to know Swiss drinking habits more than any other country. Do you know what? There wasn't, until you just said it, there wasn't a question to say which country you were from. Can we have we'll, that on? We'll add that in. I am now feeling very self-conscious 
I think it's time for us to go in. I think it is. What's really, what's, what's a real shame is that the sun's out, it's a lovely day, and any other day other than the last two months, I'd have gone, should we go for a quick on the way home? <laughs> I mean, any other day except for the last two months. It's late in the afternoon when we're doing this. It would have been a definite pub four or five hours in there. Oh, we, between here and the, and the Rose and Crown, we'd have our phones out, inviting people meet you in there we're in there now <laughs> there could be six of us by the time we got there hey one day one day well i guess have you got your can i have uh, got my can i've drunk it by the way cheers <laughs> cheers <laughs>